shove me? Shouted a small boy. It was Jimmy. Get out of my way, urchin! He pushed Jimmy hard enough to cause him to trip over his feet. Patrick heard Jimmy land with a grunt and looked back over his shoulder to see Enoch grin. Patrick peeled back and ran to where Jimmy lay curled in a ball, gripping his stomach. Are you all right, Jimmy? Jimmy nodded, wiping his eyes. Just hard to breathe. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 8 from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key. And on Jenny's Corner, our author friend Jenny L. Cody will help us be mindful of a very serious topic that today's chapter deals with, and she'll share how God feels about all of that and how we can bring Him joy in the process. And as you may remember, on our last episode, we were left with a shadowy figure lurking in the shadows. And today, we'll find out who that shadowy figure is that has been watching from the shadows, thus making him shadowy. Well, that was quite redundant, no? A bit repetitive, what? Aye, and he kept saying the same thing over and over. Which is essentially what we just did. Aye, that we did, all right. <laughs> Indeed, we surely did. I, <laughs> I believe we've done it again. <laughs> I say, this could go on for quite some time. Indeed, uh, but it won't. Let's move on by introducing the hosts of the podcast and the perpetrators of this repetitive redundancy. Is he doing it again, lass? He is right on the edge, mon ami. First, I bring you the gruff, growling glottis of the scruffy Scotty. <laughs> Say that three times real fast. The silky cerebral syllables said by the furry feminine feline. Hmm, not bad, monsieur. And the illustrative informative inklings from the meek but meaningfully musing mouse. <laughs> well done, old chap. <laughs> Here's Max, Liz, and Nigel. I say, that took the biscuit. Oh, thank you. What did you say your name was again? Oh, dear. Uh-oh, you pushed his hot button there, Mosey. Well, I surely didn't mean to. And don't call him Shirley, either. He doesn't like to use his name, you oh, see. Yes, I do, but you always... So it's safer to just call him Monsieur Announcer. Or Den... Or just Announcer Lad, like I do. Fine. Uh, which do you prefer, old boy? My real name is Denny. Well, that is a sticky wicket, then. What? No, it isn't. Perhaps I should just call you Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. I haven't been called that since I was a kid or when I was in trouble with my mother. <laughs> I, I don't know, Nigel. I may have to chew on that for a while. Oh, I can help you chew on it, lad. You be needing a rubber bone or a, a squeaky toy, maybe? I got lots of squeaky toys. Or, oh, I know. How about... How about we play Chapter 8 and deal with all this later? Indeed, with the nifty narrations of our affable announcer. <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. Good old what's-his-name. <sighs> Chapter 8. Life Lessons and Fiery Fiddling. I think our chances are good to win, Pat, Sam said as the boys raced to a pile of pumpkins. He stopped and turned, seeing that Patrick lagged behind. He put his hands on his knees as he leaned over to catch his breath. Sorry, Pat. 
I want to be warmed up for the race. Patrick caught up to Sam, resting his hands on his hips to also catch his breath. Well, my chances wouldn't be good against you, Sam. I sure am glad I'm racing against the younger boys. Sam smiled and stood, putting his hand on Patrick's shoulder. You always run faster than those boys at school. So do I. So I think our chances are good. Max and Liz came running up behind them. Nigel scurried behind a pumpkin. <laughs> they follow you everywhere, don't they? Sam said with a laugh, squatting down to pet Max and Liz. Aye, they do, Patrick answered proudly. He looked over to see the crowds gathering to watch the first foot race. A man was showing the boys where to line up. I better get over there. He spied his mother and the Henry girls standing near the front of the crowd. Come on, Max and Liz. You and Sam can stand with Jane and the others. Aye, Max barked happily as they trailed along behind. They went to stand over with Sarah and the girls. John Henry and the boys were making their way over as well. Do your best, Pat, Sarah encouraged him, bouncing new little baby Lucy on her hip. I'll try, Mother, Patrick answered with a grin. He took off his hat and quickly handed it to Jane. Hold this for me, little Jane. Sure thing, Pat, Jane replied, taking his tricorn hat in hand. Sally and I are cheering you on. Jane had a little friend with her named Sarah Shelton, whom they all called Sally. Her family lived near the Henrys in a house named Rural Plains. Sally had a pretty round face that was framed by dark brown hair tucked into the white cap tied under her chin. The girls wore daisy chain necklaces they had made. I hope you win, Sally spoke up happily. Her deep brown eyes lit up with the excitement of the race set to begin. Patrick winked at Jane and Sally. Thanks, girls. He ran over to the starting line and looked down the row of a dozen boys, all close to his age. He knew some of the boys from school, but some were from out of town. One very thin boy named Jimmy didn't go to school, as he was from a poor family in the area who couldn't afford to send him to the common school. His father had been an indentured servant who worked the tobacco fields belonging to a wealthy farmer. Patrick met Jimmy one day on the road in front of Studley. He frequently rode with his father in the back of a cart, carrying hogsheads of tobacco three miles north to Page's warehouse on the Pamunkey River. From this grand Virginia river port, the tobacco was inspected and sent down river on ships, eventually reaching the Chesapeake Bay and then crossing the Atlantic to England. Europe couldn't get enough of Virginia tobacco. St. Andrew's Day was a day for setting work aside, when everyone could simply come and enjoy a day of fun. On this day, these boys who lined up to race were not rich or poor. They were just boys. Patrick quickly assessed his competition and what he knew of their running speed. Good luck, boys, he offered, catching Jimmy's eye with an affirming nod. Jimmy smiled back. Patrick planted his feet and spied the finish line where a man stood with a flag. I hope the lad wins, Max told Liz and Nigel, who stayed hidden. Run like the wind, Patrick, he barked. Hear, hear, we must cheer him on to victory, Nigel exclaimed with his tiny paw raised high. I dare say the anticipation of this event reminds me of the thrill awaiting the chariot races in the Circus Maximus. Liz smiled to see Patrick's sisters and Sally all holding hands as they excitedly jumped up and down. Here they go! shouted Sam as the racing judge lifted his hand to start the race. Watch, Jane! Your brother will win this with no trouble at all! Go, 
Pat, go! Jane cheered. With that, the man quickly lowered his arm, and the boys were off and running. Patrick sprinted ahead as the crowds broke out cheering. He stayed several yards ahead of the pack, when behind him he heard two of the boys arguing. Don't shove me! shouted a small boy. It was Jimmy. Get out of my way, urchin! replied the boy doing the shoving, a bully known by the name of Enoch. He pushed Jimmy hard enough to cause him to trip over his feet. Jimmy fell face first into the dusty path and had the wind knocked out of him. Patrick heard Jimmy land with a grunt and looked back over his shoulder to see Enoch grin. The bully was closing the gap between them. In a split second, Patrick peeled back and ran to where Jimmy lay curled in a ball, gripping his stomach. Are you all right, Jimmy? he asked, helping the boy sit up. Jimmy nodded, wiping his eyes. Just hard to breathe. Patrick's face turned red, and he watched in anger as Enoch raced ahead of the other boys, reaching the finish line. The bully lifted his arms in victory. Patrick fumed. Come on, Jimmy. I'll help you. He helped Jimmy to his feet and walked him back over to the crowds. Thanks, Patrick, Jimmy said in a barely audible voice. I hoped I could win. Patrick clenched his jaw and patted him on the back. You'll win next time, Jimmy. He knew that for Jimmy, it wasn't just about winning a prize, but bringing home a food gift he could share with his family. Jane, Sally, and Sam came up to Patrick as he walked back over to join them. What happened? Sam asked in surprise. Enoch made Jimmy trip and fall, Patrick explained. He's no winner. He cheated. Jane clenched her fists and shot an angry glance over to see Enoch strutting around. My dad, no good bully. Sam put his hand on Patrick's shoulder. You're a good lad, Pat. I'll go win the next race for us both. Thanks, Sam, Patrick said with a nod. As Sam turned to go to run his race, Jane skipped along after him. You can do it, Sam. Sally stood behind a moment and smiled at Patrick. She didn't say a word, but removed the daisy chain necklace around her neck and slipped it over Patrick's head before quickly darting off to go rejoin her family, who were leaving the field. Thanks, Sally, Patrick called after her, smiling at Sally's kind gesture. He had forfeited the race and the prize to help the underdog, but had received a garland of victory from the little girl. The man judging the race hadn't seen what happened. He handed Enoch the gingerbread cookies. Enoch bit into one and smiled, carrying his prize off the field to keep all for himself. But the shadowy figure stood camouflaged behind a row of trees, and he had seen everything. Fiddlers, time to take the stage, shouted the man organizing the fiddle competition. A huge crowd was gathered around the wooden stage for the most popular event of the day. There on the table was the beautiful violin Gilliman had brought as the prize for the best fiddler. Gilliman and Clarice sat together behind the table, scanning the crowds. People were celebrating with great merriment. It had been a wonderful day. Patrick threw his head back laughing as he walked along with his family, who praised him for his gallant effort of helping little Jimmy during the race. All was well now. Sam had indeed won his race, and they feasted on the gingerbread cookies, sharing them with everyone, including Jimmy. 
William sported his new silver-buckled shoes after winning the wrestling competition for his age group. The Henry boys took care of their little sisters, and they gathered near the stage, eager to see who would win the prized fiddle. Max and Liz jumped up onto a stack of barrels so they could see the stage. While the humans watched the big fiddlers, Max and Liz would be watching the tiny fiddler sitting in Gilliman's hat. Liz smiled as Nigel waved his bow once he spotted them. Mousy's got his fiddle, I see, observed Max with a big grin. Oui, Nigel is the happiest mousy in over today, Liz told him. She blew a kiss to Nigel, who bowed in reply. A group of 19 fiddlers were gathered at the base of the stage, one shy of the maximum allowed in the contest. The man conducting the event announced the rules. Each fiddler will get to play one song, and our judge, Mr. Gilliman, will be awarding the prize to the best player based on both skill and the applause of the crowd. After the prize fiddle is awarded, the winner will play a tune for the crowd to end this St. Andrew's Day. So enjoy the music, dance a jig, and cheer on your favorite fiddler. With that, the crowd erupted in cheers. The first fiddler stepped up onto the stage and stomped his foot four times to set the rhythm before he broke into playing a lively Scottish tune. Men kicked up their heels and grabbed partners as the crowd started dancing to the contagious Highland music. Others shouted from their seats on wooden barrels and clinked pewter mugs of ale, while others clapped in time with the fiddler. It was impossible to remain still with the Celtic tunes of Scotland filling the air. Patrick danced around, kicking up his heels as his sisters clapped their hands in time to the music. One at a time, he'd grab a sister by the hands and twirl her around in a lively jig. Max wagged his tail and barked his applause. Liz bobbed her head, and Clarie clapped her hands. Gilliman tapped his foot in rhythm while keeping a roving eye on the audience as Nigel played along in Gilliman's hat. A few of the fiddlers soon stood out as crowd favorites. Nigel gave a running report to Gilliman on the performances he deemed most worthy. As the final fiddler finished his performance, the man announcing the competition held up his hands to quiet the crowd. Do we have a winner? He shouted with a broad smile, holding his hands wide. Not yet, came a bellowing voice from the back of the crowd. A big burly man with a thick, scruffy beard parted the crowd as he held a fiddle high above his head. He was dressed in the rugged attire of a frontiersman, and people murmured and cleared a path for him as he walked toward the stage. The fringe on the man's caramel-colored buckskin shirt dangled from his outstretched arm, and a black, broad-brimmed hat was pulled low over his eyes. His large boots echoed heavily on the wooden steps as he climbed to the stage. The man running the event stepped aside, and the mystery fiddler nodded to him and to Gilliman. Immediately the man put the fiddle under his chin and stomped out the rhythm to set the pace for the liveliest tune anyone had yet heard. His bow blazed across the fiddle with such speed that soon it began to shred, its horsehair sticking out in all directions. The crowd was spellbound, clapping out the energetic rhythm as this fiery fiddler caused their spirits to soar all the way to Scotland and back. No one even danced. All they wanted to do was focus on the magic of this moment. Nigel's mouth hung open as he held his violin down by his side, unable to keep up with the fiddler. Gilliman shared a knowing look with Clarie and clapped along with the crowd. 
Max and Liz looked at one another in amazement, and Patrick Henry thought he had died and gone to heaven to hear such playing. He stood on tiptoe to try to get a glimpse of the fiddle master, but it was hard to see him with the people crammed together in front. He studied the reaction of the people and their expressions of frenzied delight. The scene of a crowd set ablaze was immediately pressed onto his mind. When the fiddler pulled his frayed bow across the strings of his fiddle for the final note, the crowd erupted with whooping and hollering, cheers and wild applause. The man overseeing the competition held up his hands and shouted, I think now we have a winner. Mr. Gilliman, do you agree? Gilliman stood and straightened his waistcoat and murmured under his breath, Nigel, what say you? There simply is no contest, old boy. This fiery fiddler takes the biscuit and then some. Bravo, I say, bravo! Nigel cheered, ducking under the folds of Gilliman's hat. I'm glad to hear it, Nigel. Gilliman lifted the violin and bow from the case and bowed, handing it to the mystery fiddler. Gilliman locked eyes with the man he had been expecting. Congratulations, sir. The prize is yours. The man set his fiddle and frayed bow on the table to take the prize fiddle and bow in hand. I'm much obliged, sir. He turned and held the prize up in the air to the raucous applause and cheers of the audience. Play Strip the Willow, called out someone in the crowd. Immediately the crowd echoed the request and divided into two rows to dance the favorite Scottish country reel. The man lifted the brim of his hat and pointed the bow right to Patrick Henry. This is for you, Pat. Let me break in this fiddle for you. Patrick's eyes got as wide as gingerbread cakes when he finally recognized the mystery fiddler. Uncle Langloo, he exclaimed. It was his mother's beloved brother, who would disappear for six months out of the year to go hunt deer and live in the rugged mountains with the Indians. Patrick had hoped to see him for his birthday back in May, but the elusive uncle never showed. While Patrick was named for his uncle Patrick, William was named for this uncle, William Langlew Winston. But Patrick and this uncle shared a love for the freedom of exploring the adventurous outdoors that gave them a special bond. Uncle Langlew tore into the new fiddle, igniting the crowd by honoring their request. He stomped his foot and played Strip the Willow while couples danced the country reel in front of the stage. Mother, did you hear that? Uncle Langlew won that fiddle and is giving it to me! Patrick shouted in disbelief above the noise of the crowd. <laughs> I'm happy for you, Pat. Sarah hugged Patrick and laughed with joy, shaking her head good-humoredly as Langlew stomped his foot at the edge of the stage, playing with a big grin while winking at her and Patrick. That's my brother Bill! When the song was over, Patrick ran to the steps and Langlew enveloped his nephew in a smothering hug. Hi there, Pat. I may be late, but here you go. Happy birthday. Patrick took the fiddle in hand with a look of awe and inexpressible delight. I can't believe it. Thank you, Uncle Langlew. You deserve it, lad. I saw the good you did out there in that race today, Langlew told him with a broad smile. Never forget the lesson of doing the right thing, even at the expense of getting a temporary good thing. You stuck up for that boy, putting him ahead of yourself, and he'll never forget it. 
Patrick tightened his mouth and nodded. Thanks, Uncle. I couldn't leave him in the dirt like that. He's not the only one who'll never forget your good deed, added Lang Lu, touching Sally's victory garland still around the boy's neck. I hear you got a musket for your birthday. When you're a little older, I'll take you hunting with me in the wilderness. I'll show you how to play your fiddle and shoot your gun. He leaned in close and looked his nephew in the eye. In addition to doing the right thing, those are two of the most important things a man needs. A fiddle to woo a lass, and a gun to provide for her and protect her with. He gave Patrick a hearty wink. Patrick threw his head back laughing. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Langlou. I can't wait to go with you. Together they turned to join Sarah, John, and the rest of the Henrys, who celebrated Patrick's prize and the joyous reunion with their favorite uncle. Max and Liz shared a grin and looked over to see Gilliman give them a bow and a wink. Gilliman knew all along who'd end up with that fiery fiddle, Max told Liz. Liz studied Patrick fondly, smiling at his good fortune on this day of magical meetings, life lessons, and fiery fiddles. Hui, and I believe Gilliman also knows about other prizes my Henry appears to have won today. But I wonder what Gilliman meant about this violin not being an ordinary fiddle. I guess we'll soon find out, Max replied. It would seem we have more than one name game going on here, huh? What to call our announcer? Again, Denny works just... And whether we're talking about fiddles or violins. You could call it a, a violittle. Aye. Or... <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> well, you keep guessing, and we'll take some time for more news on the fiddle, uh, the, uh, the viol, uh, the little bowed stringed instrument, as it's time for another edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Hey, what happened to the news music? Ah, greetings. Nigel P. Monaco reporting from my tiny news desk. And to answer that question, instead of hard-hitting journalism music, it seemed more appropriate to bring in a little night music, or in the German, eine kleine Nacht music, composed by the incomparable Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Uh, Tis a masterpiece in stringed music that shows the true capability of the violin and the entire family of bowed stringed instruments. And while the history of the classical music created on the violin is well documented and still widely enjoyed centuries after its composition, it seems the history of the violin itself is a bit more sketchy, or should I say, a bit more painty. <laughs> For much of what we know of the violin's history is taken from the paintings of the early Renaissance. Thus, many believe the violin originated in the 16th century, and like many musical instruments, has changed very little in the nearly 600 years of its existence. Now, to be clear, there were stringed bowed instruments prior to that in places like the Far East and Arabia that you could call ancestors of the violin. But finally, near the end of the Middle Ages, just to confuse the whole matter, a bowed stringed instrument appeared in Europe called uh, a fiddle. Thus, the controversy rages on violin or fiddle. And so as not to steal my own thunder, as it were, I shall address this controversial name game in next week's chapter. Till then, I remain yours truly, Nigel P. Monaco, in the newsroom. 
Ah, merci, Nigel. Très bien. Aye, but I think it were obvious which name Moosey prefers. But that shall be addressed in our next chapter. Aye. Meanwhile, Miss Jenny shares some wisdom about a very serious topic that was dealt with in today's chapter. Uh, Miss Jenny? Hey, everybody. Well, I loved this chapter, especially on life lessons and fiery fiddling, and I hope you picked up some things that maybe you can apply to your own life. How many of us have ever seen a bully in action? Either you've been the victim of bullying, someone that got rough with you either physically or with words, or maybe you've watched someone like Patrick watching Jimmy get bullied. And what did you do about it? Maybe, unfortunately, some of us have been the bullies ourselves. You know, it doesn't mean that we shove someone down in the dirt to bully someone. You can bully them with words. You can bully someone by ignoring them. Did you know that? And so I think it's a good thing to take a lesson from this fictional scene with Patrick Henry. Now, he did go to the St. Andrew's Day Festival, of course, and did foot races and had fun like that. But this scene with Jimmy is a foreshadowing of what is to come when Patrick Henry rises to his calling to become the voice of the revolution and to stick up for the underdogs who are the common people who are being bullied by tyranny from England. So you're going to see some exciting things unfold in the future about that. So remember this scene when we get to that point. But think about it. If you were in Patrick's shoes, would you have done what he did? Would you forfeit the opportunity to win the race and get a prize in order to help someone? I hope that you would. I hope that I would. Because you see, Patrick got far more from doing the right thing than he would have gotten if he just ran to the finish line. He got the respect and admiration not only of Jimmy, but of a sweet little girl who was watching and also the shadowy figure who was watching. And of course, we know that's Uncle Langlou. Uncle Langlou was Patrick Henry's uncle, dear uncle of his, and you're going to see more of him in upcoming chapters. He, he's a ton of fun. And so Patrick was rewarded not only with respect, but he got the fiddle, the greatest prize of them all. Now, a note about the fiddle in the back and the word from the author in this book, I tell you about the real fiddle that is at Patrick Henry's Red Hill in Brookneal, Virginia, that I used as a prop for this book. Now, until last year, 2020, we felt and believed that that fiddle actually did belong to Patrick Henry himself, but a couple of more people have looked at it who are experts in looking at old instruments, and they think it could have belonged to Patrick Henry's son, John, who also lived at Red Hill. We don't know for sure but you can still go and see this beautiful instrument and know that Patrick Henry was indeed a fiery fiddler. And I have no doubt that Uncle Langlou taught him how to play. But take away from today's podcast, what would you do in a foot race and there's a bully involved? Would you do the right thing and help someone up? If you do, you will win the greatest prize of all, the favor and the approval of God who knows our hearts, and he sees everything that we do. And I know that would make him very glad. Oh, thank you, Miss Jenny. Aye, the maker wants us to be brave, that's for sure. Well, being wise enough to listen to him first. It's like the old hymn says, 
trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Well, I trust that it's time for uh, Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. All right. To be obedient and uh, close out our show with a bit of a preview of our next episode. Yes, why don't I? In our next episode, we'll learn a lot more about the violin, I mean, the fiddle, that Uncle Langlou won for young Patrick, including the tackling of that age-old question, what's the difference between a fiddle and a violin? And wait until you hear what that fiery fiddle can do when it's played by uh, the master, if you will. So join us next time as I leave you with this thought. Remember, you can tune a fiddle, but you can't tune a fish. Oh, Dennis. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandee! A biento, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.